So we live in a culture that's so secular, where the, the cultural gatekeepers, they don't understand this stuff. And I said, that's not right. And I really felt a passion to use the gifts God's given me as a speaker, as a writer, to speak into the culture. Welcome to First Person and today's guest, author and speaker Eric Metaxas. I'm Wayne Shepard, looking forward to introducing you to Eric, whose biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is rated by many as one of the top books of the past year. First Person comes your way each week at this time as we talk with people about their faith and its effect in their life and calling. Sometimes you may recognize the name and sometimes not, but you'll always hear how God transforms lives for His glory. By the way, if you haven't discovered our audio archive, please visit FirstPersonInterview.com and click on the Listen Now button for access to all previous programs. That's FirstPersonInterview.com for the archive, as well as the calendar of upcoming programs. Our guest today is Eric Metaxas, the author of several books, including notable biographies of William Wilberforce and, most recently, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I could have talked all day with Eric about those two books and more, but I really wanted to hear his story of coming to faith in Christ and how that shaped his life. I love the first line of his biography. It says he's written for Veggie Tales, Chuck Colson, The New York Times, three things not ordinarily in the same sentence. And I asked him how that came to be. Well, you know, the easy answer, which is also the accurate answer, is to say this was God directing me in my life. I know that. I don't just say that, but nobody could know it the way I know it. I know that that is actually true. Um, I came to faith seriously in 1988, a few years out of Yale, and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And the Lord dramatically, sometimes things are genuinely miraculous for our benefit, where, where God is trying to let us know that, yes, He is steering us. Um, the Lord very dramatically gave me a job with a company called Rabbit Ears Productions. I ended up writing all these children's books and working on, on scripts and video scripts and things, the sort of stuff I never dreamt I would do, never cared to do, never had an ambition to do. But you see by God's grace and His design that He created me in part with these kinds of talents. And so it really got me uh, into writing children's books, which of course opened the door to Veggie Tales in the future. Uh, I also, of course, worked for Chuck Colson. You just said that. That, that was a dream because I've admired him ever since yeah. I came to faith, started reading his books. And so that was an amazing experience to get to write about Christian worldview, uh, to think about the culture from a biblical. That was a fun thing to do. And, uh, you know, the New York Times, that's uh, one of the few places that publishes bona fide humor. And I, I wrote some humor for them in the 90s. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was the editor of the Yale Humor Magazine, so I've always wanted to write humor. Humor is a big part of my life. Folks who see me speak or MC know that uh, I'm a goofball cut up, even <laughs> when I, I ought not to be, perhaps. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's my life. Well, I find it very fascinating to learn how God leads people to faith, and I want to talk to about that in just a moment. But hearing what you've just said, and I'm thinking about your biography of Bonhoeffer and Wilberforce. Uh, you must identify with those men in a, in a certain way, don't you, about how God leads and designs a life? Well, I guess I never thought of it that way, honestly, Wayne, but I will tell you that, uh, yes, you're right. That is, uh, that is the way um, God wants us to live. He wants us to think about, uh, about Him in terms of everything, and He wants us to look to Him for guidance, and it really is by His grace. I, I realized in 1988 that I didn't know 
why I was on this earth. I didn't know what it was exactly I was supposed to do, but I, I finally was given the wisdom by revelation, <laughs> by faith uh, and grace to know that I didn't know, but that he knew. And I really radically turned my life over to him and my career over to him, uh, it specifically prayed that he would lead me with my career. And and there's no question that God really does that. The only, the only problem is that we are required to have faith when we can't see clearly. And there have been many times in the last 22 years when it's been extremely difficult. And so that, that those are the places where you cling to faith, where you cling to the Word of God, and you say, He said this, and I don't feel that this is true, but I know it is true, and I'm going to behave as though it is true. And guess what? In retrospect, you always see it's true. <laughs> it's just that right at the time you don't. But He has clearly led me by twists and turns and uh, uses difficulty, uses pain, uses all the things, everything in life. Uh, we turn it over to God over and over and over again. He He can use it, and He wants to use it, and that's uh, in, in my life, I can see that he has. In the lives of the, the, these great saints that you just mentioned, it's extremely clear uh, that, that God led them, that both of them would not have been who they were without devoted faith to Jesus Christ. Anybody who would try to paint either of them as somebody who was just a humanist or something doesn't understand at all what, what the case was. And I think both my books reveal that with the facts. I mean, these are facts. It's not my mm-hmm. interpretation. I like uh, the connection there because it, it seems to me that these men and so many others, and even you and I, I mean, our lives kind of unfold once we've turned them over to Christ. We don't know, you know, what does Proverbs 69 say? You know, we plan our way, but God directs our steps. We don't know yeah. what's ahead. No. We just trust him. And they did as well. Well, um, you know, that's, the beginning of wisdom, you know, to know that he is God and I'm not, and to really have this awesome sense that he created the universe, to really think about that, and that he has a plan for my life, to to resist that is to be a fool, and God forbid that, uh, that we would be fools and that we would resist him who loves us and who has a plan for us. It's just, uh, you know, it's the reason we're here, yeah. but I... Uh, you see it so clearly in retrospect. I see it with the Bonhoeffer book in spades. I mean, I cannot tell you, I truly can't, nobody can understand it the way I see it, how ridiculously clear it is to me that God called me to write this book, even that he created me to write this book. That sounds like a dramatic, both of things sound like dramatic statements, and I guess they are, except for the fact that it's so clear to me, it's incredibly clear to me. I'm embarrassed almost. Well, it's not about you. It's about. It's not about you. Well, I'm saying you can hear it that way, but that's not how I mean it, not even slightly. Right. I'm tempted to ask so many questions about Bonhoeffer. We'll have to do that another time. All the reviews are just spectacular about the book that you've written, this biography, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. Well, we'll just leave it at that today, that everybody needs to read this book. But um, You don't want to qualify that, literally everybody? I, I think everybody needs to read it. Okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's leave it at that. Who might argue? <laughs> All right. Now, I know your theology is solid, but part of your conversion... I believe in UFOs. Yeah, is, that, is that what you were going to talk about? I'm talking about this dream that you had that was instrumental in coming to Christ. Yep. There's no way around it. It's kind of like, how much faith did Lazarus have? You know, he was a corpse, so he didn't have any faith. How much did I participate in my conversion experience? Well, all I can say is I was unconscious. I was sleeping. Uh, God... Uh, spoke to me in a dream. If people want the specifics, because it would take more than the time we have, but at my website, there's a short video that tells this whole story. It's, uh, my, my, my website is 
my name, ericmetaxas.com. If you go to ericmetaxas.com and scroll down a bit, there's a, it says something like conversion video or something. It's an amazing story, truly amazing. But the, the, the short uh, version of it is that uh, I was lost. Uh, a friend, uh, a man who beca- became a friend, was sharing with me the scripture and praying for me and, and answer- answering a lot of my intellectual objections. But it's kind of like, you know, you can get to the cliff, but you can't jump across the canyon. You know, I felt like he got me to the edge of the cliff, but at some point, God's grace has to intervene. God reaches down when we're ready. And in this dream, uh, all I can tell you is I went to sleep kind of wondering if all this stuff was true, hoping maybe it's true, but pretty sure that you couldn't know. And I woke up without any doubt that it is true, that Jesus is Lord, the Bible is true. I mean, all the stuff that you can't really prove, uh, somehow God just spoke it to me, and I woke up, it's like going to sleep single and waking up married. I was a different person, that's 22 and a half years ago, and I, I thank God for it. That's what happened to me. Don't you love it when God stretches us like that? I mean, I, I've been in parts of the world where dreams are almost a common occurrence in, in bringing people to faith in the Muslim yeah. world. And I just heard the testimony of a, a North Korean orphan teenager who came to Christ because of a dream. It's happening a lot in the Muslim world. Uh, and as I say, we don't know. God communicates differently to everybody. He speaks the language of our own personal hearts. He knows our personal stories. So God is the same, just like a parent is the same, but the parent speaks to each kid a little differently. If you're two years old or you're 12 years old, the parent's going to speak differently. Uh, God knows us individually. Uh, He's our Father, and He speaks to us differently. So He spoke to me in this dream. doesn't mean He's going to speak to anybody else that way, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's how He spoke to me. And also we need to have the wisdom to know when it's God and when it's not. And this is a clear case of this was clearly God, but this doesn't mean to say that every time you have a dream, it's God. People need to have discernment, real discernment, and you get that from knowing the Word and spending a lot of time with emotionally healthy Christians who understand the differences and who can who can help you, because, you know, you can get into some dark, deep waters if you don't understand that kind of stuff. Yeah, everything's measured against the Word, isn't it? I want to talk to you about, here you are, you're, you've always been a thinker, you were educated at Yale, you've got this uh, intellectual approach to life, and then Christ comes along. Was the intellect uh, a hurdle at all for you in coming to faith? I don't think so. I think what was the hurdle was the secular climate of Yale University and of the people that I had befriended, people in Manhattan where I live now. It's a very secular culture. It's a culture that sneers at serious Christianity or that ignores it or that mocks it. And I think that that was the main hurdle for me. You're hanging around people for whom this stuff is crazy and really uh, was inoculated against it because I thought, well, it's just not even worth looking into intellectually. It's just crazy stuff, and, you know, people who believe that obviously are, you know, simple people who haven't really thought deeply about stuff, but the reality is that I hadn't thought deeply about it, and that the more I thought deeply about it, the more I realized I was wrong, that this is intellectually tenable, and that I was so ignorant that I I didn't even know what I was rejecting, and that's why I wrote the Everything About God books, which now there are three, so I guess it's Mm -hmm. a trilogy, but these are kind of a like a repeat of this intellectual process that I went through. I had all these questions, and I think if people just 
look into it rationally, they would at least be shocked at what good answers there can be. Even if you don't agree with them, I think people are shocked when they say, you know what, I didn't know that, I never heard that. And it's, it's interesting to me, we live in a culture that pretty much keeps us away from all of this great information. And I think that if people have that great information, even if they don't become Christians, they will have a much deeper respect for people who are Christians because they can't dismiss them so easily. We'll learn more from this author and speaker, Eric McTaxis, coming up on today's edition of First Person. Next time, you'll meet a young woman who lost her arm to a shark attack, but she's still a champion. We can't let fear stop us from doing what God has called us to do, and we just got to trust in Him, and He will guide us every step of the way. I guess that's just what I try to do, is just trust in God and uh, give every little frustration or doubt to Him, and He'll take care of it. You'll meet Bethany Hamilton, whose life story is told in the new movie Soul Surfer, next week here on First Person. Once Eric Metaxas had placed his faith in Christ, there was no turning back for him, and I asked him about that. Well, I felt it was, it was late enough in life, I and mean, it was around my 25th birthday, and I thought, okay, uh, what have I been waiting for? I've wasted years. Uh, it's funny, because when I was doing the biography on Wilberforce, I saw the same thing. He came to faith, I guess, around 26, and he really felt like, oh, what have I done? I've wasted this time living for myself like a fool, and, you know, you kind of want to make up for lost time, and that, that's how I felt. Like, once I knew that this was really true, it's like, that's it. Let's go, you know? <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's try to to live it and see what God has. And, uh, you know, it's never too late, never too late. We know the Scripture tells us that even to think that way is, you know, to be buying into the enemy's lies. God can redeem all things. If I give him my life today, he can make a week count for, you know, 50 years. It's it's amazing. By the way, we caught you on a busy morning. Every morning is busy in New York, isn't it? Well, we live on Lexington Avenue, and you can hear the buses out there. I think people probably can hear them coming and going. But, uh, yeah, it's busy. It's busy. It doesn't need to be busy uh, in our home. But out there, when you get out there into the streets, it's uh, it's a busy city. Yes, it is. It's an influential city. And I can also say I feel like God has called us to New York City because it's influential, and it's so secular. It needs believers to be here. There's a lot going on in the Christian world in New York City. People would know about that. There's a Christian college called the King's College. Mm -hmm. There's a Christian school. My daughter goes to the Geneva School. Um, There's so many wonderful things going on here that just a few years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, did not exist. So it's very exciting to see what God's doing in New York City. I have to throw that in. I I like talking to you because you answer questions before I ask them, because I wanted to ask you about why you feel called to New York City, and you just answered that. Oh, good. It's where God has placed you. Tell me about Socrates in the city. Uh, Socrates in the City is a speaker series that I started 10 years ago. We just had our 10th anniversary celebration with Chuck Colson, who came and spoke for us. And about once a month, we have an event, usually a speaker, uh, usually in a fancy New York private club, and it's a very elegant evening. Uh, it's a real blessing for believers to get their minds fed, uh, but it's also a blessing in that you can bring uh, friends who are maybe not believers uh, who will themselves enjoy the evening because it's it's fun. I mean, first of all, my introductions are always intentionally humorous um, because I think it should be fun. This should not be a ponderous intellectual exercise. So we should have a lot of fun. And, um, and then we hear from a brilliant speaker, and you can really see people... Um, 
thinking, gosh, you know, I've, I've not heard anything like this. I mean, to hear an Oz Guinness or somebody else to, sure. to really draw them uh, in a way towards thinking more deeply about the big questions of life. That's actually why we took the title Socrates in the City, because he said the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. Well, let's examine the big questions. Let's hear from people from a biblical worldview what you know? What would they say? But it, it, it's really meant to be very inviting, and you can bring anybody. And as I say, anybody can come. At the the Socrates in the City website. It's just SocratesInTheCity.com, and we've got events. If you check it, you can get on the mailing list. But it's something we've been doing. We've done it twice in Chicago, and we'll probably be doing one in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And we will probably be streaming these live so that anybody can watch it uh, within the next couple of months. We're, we're just opening that door to make that happen so anybody in the country can be with us. Well, I haven't attended yet. I plan to. But my favorite introduction that you talk about, the humorous introductions you do, is when you introduce yourself. I, That's I, wacky. Yeah, folks can see that one on my website. That's yeah. ericmethaxis.com. If you look, uh, I, I was, it was the 10th anniversary. I'm sorry, it was the... Um, the 65th anniversary of Bonhoeffer's death, and it was the day that my book came out. So this is last April, and the Socrates in the City Board said, Eric, you should be the speaker. You know, you always introduce the speakers, you're never the speaker, but once in 10 years, you get to be the speaker, but you have to introduce yourself. So if people either go to my website or the Socrates website, they can see I do a 10-minute introduction of myself, which is pretty darn wacky, and then I kind of pivot, and I'm the speaker for the night. So it's very strange, you know, make sure you're wearing your helmet, because you could get hurt. <laughs> Brilliant introduction of yourself, by the way. Thank All you. Right. Um, we touched on it earlier, but let's talk some more about calling. Uh, someone once said that, you know, we live lives that are undeserved, but they are designed by God. Um, talk to me about how what you feel called to do. Well, uh, when I was at Yale. I was. I knew I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I was not walking with the Lord in any real way, but I wanted to be a writer. I was the editor of the Humor Magazine. I loved humor, comedy, but I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Well, when I really came to faith in the summer of 1988, um, and again, that story's on my website, but when that happened, suddenly I felt a passion to speak into the culture because I said, this culture is not allowing people to hear these amazing stories. I, I always felt if I'd heard some of the stuff that I was hearing now as a believer, if I'd heard that when I was at Yale or before Yale, it would have changed my life. But, if, but we live in a culture that's so secular, where the, the cultural gatekeepers who live in New York City, who live in Hollywood, they don't understand this stuff, and they just tend to ignore it. Uh, and I said, that's not right. There are people perishing because they're not hearing this stuff. They aren't hearing about the story of William Wilberforce, about the story of Bonhoeffer. They're not getting good apologetics on why the Bible is true. It's just, it's kind of reduced this religious sphere, and if you're not already in that sphere, you probably won't get it. And I said, that's not right. And I really felt a passion to use the gifts God's given me as a speaker, as a writer, to speak into the culture, to bring these things into the mainstream culture. I don't mean into the church, because I do feel called also to bring them into the church, but I mean specifically to try to speak to the wider culture. And so every book I write, I hope that you could give it to just about anybody. It's not just something that a believer would read. I, did, I don't write Christian biographies. I write biographies. Mm-hmm. But there are biographies about Christian figures whose faith is very, very strong and powerful. But I write them as mainstream books because I want the mainstream to read them. And I think that especially with the Bonhoeffer book, it's been an unbelievable reception in the mainstream culture. The, the Barnes & Noble uh, listed it as one of the top nonfiction books of last year. Uh, Kirkus Reviews listed it as, as one of the top nonfiction books of the year because they recognize it's a biography. It's not a Christian book. Um, 
that's very important, I think, as believers, that we speak to the wider culture whenever possible. That's, to me, part of the success of VeggieTales, that you can give a VeggieTale video to just about anybody, and they'll love it, because uh, most people would resonate, would respond to that kind of thing. That's, that's where I feel called, uh, you know, and I also expect I'll do more TV and things like that, because I think we need voices in the culture, Christian voices that are nonetheless able to speak the language of the culture that aren't speaking some kind of Christianese, uh, which is just reduced to the religious sphere. So that's, that is really who I am. That's a big part of my life. You mentioned a couple of uh, educational institutions, Christian educational institutions there in New York City. Um, what are your thoughts about preparing for a life like you have now in terms of education? How do you advise young people? Well, it all depends. I would say that people need to know up front that most uh, secular institutions are aggressively secular. I would think twice and three times and four times before I sent my son or daughter to a place like Yale University, uh, just because you, it's going to take a very, very particular person uh, with traditional values and with, with uh, strong biblical values and faith to, to negotiate a place like that. Uh, I would, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't, but you know, Princeton is, of course, much better in that area but I would, I would say that sending one's uh, kid to a really good Christian college would probably be the first choice. Again, we all have to know who are our kids and what is God calling us to and what is God calling our kids to. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer. But, uh, you know, to go to the King's College in Manhattan, to go to Wheaton or to any number, if I could mention so many, I would say that, you know, if, if you're confused, that's probably the way to go. You, you, you have to be careful. God delivered me out of uh, my experience at Yale, but my time at Yale led me away from God, led right. me into confusion and nihilism and depression. And we, we have to understand that they're very aggressive forces of secularism in the academy. That's just the way it is. But maybe you needed that. Well, you know, again, that's one of these things you can't answer that question. The Lord allows us to go through stuff, but it's kind of like, you know, if my daughter needs to suffer to get closer to Christ, I'm not going to try to make her suffer. It's one of those things where it has to be God, and I think that that's where my life took me and the Lord redeemed it. But I do think that, um, but let me say this, when I say go to a Christian college or something like that, it doesn't mean hide from the world. On the contrary, I think that it's one of the reasons I mentioned specifically King's College. You know, you need to go to a place that's preparing uh, you for the world, and that is in the world, but not of it. I think that a lot of times you get the false choice of, I'm going to go to a college that's not of the world, and it's not in the world. It's hiding from the world. Or I'm going to go to a college that's in the world and of the world. Those are both bad. You want to go to a college that's you know in the world, but not of it, a place where you're going to be able to, to be trained to think about what this world is like, not to hide from it. That's, that's a real challenge, and I think it's a challenge for believers to know that balance. Uh, how much do I protect my kids, and how much do I allow them uh, to see what's going on in the world? But, um, you know, we need to do it carefully, and uh, we need to know, again, who our kids are. Every kid is different, and we need to, to, uh, to take that seriously. Some kids can march off to a a secular or an Ivy League school, and they're going to change the school. God's going to use them as a missionary. But more often than not, most kids would go in that place, and they will be affected in the other direction. So we need to have, we need to have wisdom about that. Eric told me he plans a television program someday to influence culture. So let's pray for him. You'll find a link to Eric McTaxis and his website at firstpersoninterview.com. Our website also contains an audio archive of all of our past interviews, so if you're a newcomer to First Person, you can always go online to firstpersoninterview.com, click on the Listen Now button, and choose from any of the interviews on the list, firstpersoninterview.com. 
Well, next week, our guest will be an inspiring young woman who is one of the world's top surfers, even though she had an arm taken off by a shark attack when she was only 13 years old. Bethany Hamilton, whose story is told in the new movie Soul Surfer, will join us next time. That movie premieres in just a couple of weeks all across the country. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us for the conversation next time on First Person. First Person.